Hi everybody, welcome to the Teacher Squad podcast. It's spring term 2024 and we're already on episode three, but it's still January, Jane. It's dragging on. What have we got this week? Well, I want to know of the teachers out there who can do a school poo. Can you do a poo at school or do you have to get home? Let (laughs) us know. This is a way to increase our email interactions. Maybe or maybe not. Give it a go. Uh, We've crossed a line, but I'm also going to talk about crap in books. Yeah, we're going to talk to a wonderful guest who's going to tell us why maths matters and why Count Dracula is, you know, should be the uh, mascot for everybody. (laughs) And then we're going to go on a bit of a righteous rant and hopefully you're going to join in that rant with us. Lots to fit in, Jane. Shall we get started? If you've got a blanket, I will. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Let's do it. (laughs) So, Heather, have you got a shimmer of glimmer this week? I hope you have. Oh, I love that. I like the way you say a slice of nice. I feel like you've just put pressure on yourself to do a little rhyming thing every week. (laughs) Well, my shimmer of glimmer, I love that, kind of starts with a bit of, I don't like getting up early in the morning, Jane. It doesn't suit me. I don't like all these kind of people who say the morning is great. You should do it. You're more productive, whatever. Anyway, had to get up. At seven o'clock on Sunday, oh, to That's take light. my daughter to <laughs> to take my daughter to a hockey match miles away, like an hour twenty minute drive away up in up in Liscard. So you know, I'm not necessarily the um, smiliest of people, but you know, she's great company, and she says, "Can I read to you on the way?" Oh, oh how nice! I am partial to a bit of an audio book in, in the yeah. car, but, you know, one better to have my daughter read to me. And at the moment, she's, just, she's recently finished Hunger Games and now she's on to uh, Catch Your Death. So it's a YA by Ravina mm-hmm. Guron. Um, a se- I don't think it's a sequel, but it's in the same series as This Book Kills, which she read and really enjoyed. She loves a bit of a murder mystery. I think I've told you that before. But it was just really nice to hear kind of her engagement and enthusiasm and kind of go, oh, I like it. It's got POVs, mummy. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So like, we talk- it goes from one character to this. POV is a bit of a trendy thing to say, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But I kind of, and to go, can I read this bit out? Can I read this bit out? And um, I don't read, I don't read any YA. I read middle grade down. Um, But it's just to hear the character voice and can see that connection for, you know, a tweed or, you know, a teenager. Um, It was really good. Here's one line the beginning line and I just I just just got the tone I've had some bad luck in my time but I kid you not the day I ended up at the Van Fort mansion was probably the worst string of bad luck ever and that's how the book starts but 
She also read out another line that was kind of like, crap, crap, crappity, crap, crap, crap. This is the crappiest day ever, crap, crap, crap. And she just thought that was an utter delight as an 11-year-old. So, But, yeah, Yeah. to share the joy um, on an early morning drive, um, I'm grateful for that, Jane. What about you? Yeah, I, I love those sort of sporting matches, you know, when you actually have to dress up really warm and then you get out and you see your breath. And, yeah, I love a YA novel because you get a bit of snogging in there and crap. So, yeah. <laughs> it's all there, isn't it? I was definitely wrapped up, Jane. I had, like, normal outfit on but an extra leggings layer under the trousers, had my yeah. coat on and the dry robe over the top super which is, prepared which is all very well until the chafing starts all i find there's a lot of chafing when you start layering <laughs> like that <laughs> be careful oh, no chafing for me but they won all the matches which was amazing as well so well that is great yeah well done them um yeah i've been um i've been really good i've in i'm getting into my january i've been um eating a little bit healthier for me not for anyone else you know all of that jazz and um i've been um doing a lot more vegetables um and uh, i keep saying broccoli and and cauliflower uh, i think i've got florets that's not my joke but there you go <laughs> i can't believe you just did that <laughs> Move on, move on, move on. Move on. But what I'm grateful for, actually, um, and you were talking about this, on the 22nd of December, the sunset at 3.48, and on the 24th of January, it actually sets at 4.37, which gives us an extra 49 minutes. And I'm really pleased to get out of that sort of dark, you know, it's a bit like dark in hell, isn't it, you know, for dark's sake so yeah please that's coming to an end and then I was thinking well in this 49 minutes of more light um have I been using it wisely and I was in a school in Coventry last week and actually uh when a school day ends and it gets dark you feel like you just you don't want to be there so much and yeah. you want to get home. But I did linger a bit longer and I did find, uh, I didn't rush out. And uh, 49 minutes, you know, like teachers are so good at squeezing so much in. Uh, I was thinking, actually, you know, you've got 10 minutes, you can unjam the photocopier. That's that's good, isn't it? I mean, like, <laughs> 10 <error> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd just leave it for someone else and just hope, I don't know who did that, oh. I want me. <laughs> um, and then I've got a theory, you know, that the teachers that can stay later and get like it done and not bring it home, I think they're the teachers who can do a school poo. And um, I am I am not anally retentive, so I was really good at doing loads of stuff there and then going home and, like, forgetting about it a bit more. Um, but I think the people who have to rush home can't really school poo. So I think, you know, that's an interesting survey if you want to put that on X, Heather. <laughs> I know you like a vote. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not putting that yeah. on. I'm not putting no. that on. No, that's your repetition <laughs> in tatters. Uh, but that 30 minutes, um, actually, I had, you know, the, if I feel a little bit fed up, I'm going to be a
a little dip. I was just, I had a little cry at the sink. Not a big cry, it was just one of those, oh, you know, and um, a little tear came down. And uh, a teacher went, are you all right? I went, well, yeah, I think so, but not really. I don't even know what I'm crying for half the time. And um, sh- we just ended up chinwagging about her under the sea topic <laughs> because she just thought, oh, my God, I've got this woman who I barely know crying at a sink Oh, life. And she just started showing me this work, uh, <laughs> which involved an octopus and his um, his tentacles. But, of course, they weren't tentacles, were they? They were very long <laughs> tentacles. You predict the spelling mistake. And I just, yeah. And it just was a reminder, actually, after that, I did feel less stressed. And uh, we kind of know that, don't we? If we can... Just stop for a bit and, you know, I mean, I didn't know her very well. She didn't know me, but we were able to join together under the long tentacles. (laughs) (laughs) Building an image. Yeah, I think a little bit we came out and it was just, I just felt a bit better. It felt a bit better, a bit wetter on the way home, but yeah, it was great. <laughs> and uh, that's really important, isn't it? Just to just forget about the horrible stuff that work can really get you down and just connect and have a chinwag and a chat. Um, so, yeah, that's my little glimmer. It was good. I enjoyed it. And uh, I just think everybody should uh, poo at school and then just have a little chat. And then <laughs> everything will be a bit nicer, I think. Now, there is a campaign we could uh, we could put out there. <laughs> See, I, I'm all for the connection, but I am very, very easily distracted. And yeah. I need to do the kind of put a note on my door, say, don't come and chat to me because I will talk to you for the two hours that I should be keeping up to date with my marking. Yeah. Or, or yeah, when you've had a when you've had a tough day, head to the staff room, get a brew, and just just connect with those like minded people who are in the same scenario as you. Oh, yeah. it's good, and just to to laugh, you know, about yeah. tentacles and you know whatever. It's, it's yeah. good for you. It really is good for you. There's science, isn't there, about what it releases and what have you. And then sometimes you feel ready then to go and face the mountain of marking what it releases and in there lies another bit of poo advice yeah i was just gonna say i have a strategy called i need to get my stuff done and um they're really massive ear defenders um and i just put them on and um i sometimes play yoga style music through them which is basically if i'm wearing these it's kind of back off I am trying to concentrate. So it's a really good visual symbol and I cannot vouch for that enough. You know, there's my bit of advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to switch up the order a bit today, Jane. Is that all right? Yeah, I like it. Adjust your visual timetable for your literacy. Sorry, your teacher squad (laughs) podcast hour. Um, (laughs) We're going to invite our guest in early because we're just excited to, to talk to her. Can I tell you who we've got visiting us today? Yeah, please do. So we have with us today Karen McGuigan, who is the founder of Maths 
for life. Um, she set up Mass for Life to help parents help their children, but now she is helping educators in this country and around the globe as well. And it's designed for pupils with additional learning needs for whom the standard of the maths curriculum structure and the timescale makes it unattainable. So I can't wait to chat to her and find out a bit more about that. Shall we right. invite her in? Yeah, come on, Karen, tell us all about it. Hi, Karen, we're delighted to have you here. And uh, just to get us in the mood for numbers, um, I've been thinking about my own life as a mathematician and growing up. And actually, when I was really young, my favourite... Oh, number hero was Count Dracula uh, from Sesame Street. Do you have a number hero um, who has inspired you um, or has inspired children that you work with to get excited by numbers? Oh, I loved Sesame Street and the kind. He was a particular favourite, his droll kinding. Uh, but my hero I got to meet last year, which was Johnny Ball. Think of a number. Oh, wow. And, um, I've got my signed book um, from him, but he was probably what in the initial inspiration. I loved watching everything he did. And then the progressed on to the engine is ultimately what I ended up qualifying in. But the numbers was him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. That's flooding back memories for me, you know, tomorrow's world as well, you know, just like that fascination with sort of experts who could kind of unlock patterns. And yeah, Johnny Ball was brilliant, wasn't he? He really was. Definitely ah. was. Amazing. I, I've met him as well at some a STEM conference or whatever, but pretty cool. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you whether you had a favourite number, Karen. Do you have a lucky number, a favourite number? Do you know what? It, it's actually 42, but it's nothing to do with a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's actually my favourite multiple, seven times six. Don't know why, but it's just one of those ones that always stuck with me. So um, single digit number would be it. So that would be the number I'd choose if you were asking me to pick a number between one and ten. But my favourite number is 42, seven times six. Oh, see, now that you've told us that, I could say I'm going to predict the number you pick like a math, uh, you know, a magician, couldn't I? Um, you're thinking of a number. It's between one and ten. <laughs> we could have our own little show, Karen. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. But I do like the way that your answer was very mathsy, not just some random number. <laughs> it had a multiple reason. I want to I want to talk to you, Karen, about the independence hierarchy that you um, have created within Maths for Life. Just tell us about that and how it really helps teachers help help children. So the the backstory comes from COVID. And actually that the difference in what happened in COVID when parents were sent home to ed or children were sent home to the parents to educate them and schools were sending back work and this disparity, but they can do it at school. Why can't they do it at home? And parents were seeing something different, especially parents of children with SEN. And what we realized quite quickly was it was about the language. It was about they can do this. 
and it was a statement and that meant something to somebody else it meant something to somebody else and I always liken it to um in Lance's uh, education health and care plan it says he can dress himself and I always laugh and go "Mm, not entirely true he can dress himself if I buy the clothes that are slightly larger, that are elasticated, no zips, no buttons. If I orientate them in the right way, he can get them on. Uh, If he chooses to, he may not choose to get dressed. So that statement means something to me. It means something to a TA working with him. But it could also mean something to the council who are looking at his needs or the Department of Work and Pension who are assessing him for uh, disability living allowance. So we know that it can be interpreted in different ways. So with this in mind, when somebody, the statement says they can add numbers up to 10, That is a simple statement which says to me, okay, they can add up to 10. Now, does that mean as a number sum? Does that mean as a framed question? Uh, Does that mean in their head or with a maths aid? What does it actually mean? And this disparity in language is what the hierarchy of independence was trying to eradicate. So the hierarchy of independence is all about language, (laughs) funny enough. Um, And it's about the fact that you are able to articulate how much help you're given. So in any question that you do, you're able to make a corresponding statement as an educator to say, how much help did I give? And there are six levels. Uh, The first level is demonstrated, i.e. there was little or no interest from the student and the adult educator was demonstrating most of it. The next level is modelled, where there is no engagement from the student, but the adult's still taking the lead. At the next level, you've got direct prompts. So there's a difference between indirect and direct prompts. But for me, direct prompts, now the student's taking the lead, but the input from the adult is still giving maths help. So the words that they use is contributing to the understanding of the maths question. When you move to indirect comments, we recognise that quite a lot of students with SEN still need encouragement to do stuff, even though they know how to do it. A bit like the Lance getting dressed. Even if he can dress himself, he might not choose to. So again, this idea of the the input is not directly helping the maths, but it's still encouraging the student to stay on track to get the work done. And then the next level is assisted reading. And this is quite clear. This is about being a scribe. So it allows us to assess mathematical ability, removing the barrier of reading. So if a student won't access maths, not because of anything to do with maths, but they just don't like reading questions, uh, then we remove that and we're able to, to identify that level. And the top level is independence. And, you know, that's ultimately what we want. We want the ability of a student to do it entirely themselves, even if it is simple maths, uh, because the argument is, for me, simple maths done accurately, independently in real life is more important than the ability to do quite complex maths with lots of help, because the real world doesn't work like that. Um, And that's where it came from. But that analogy, it came from the ability to be able to hold a communication with everyone involved around a child and know exactly that we're talking the same language and we're understanding what level of help is being provided. Yeah, brilliant. I can see that being incredibly useful for everyone who's working with that child from family, you know, teacher, assistant, teacher, and making, I guess, that that helps the journey through 
the stages of progress to to be a bit clearer. It does. And it really helps teaching assistants articulate how to get that improvement and progress by changing their own language and how they interact. So even by teaching them the difference between um, the direct prompt. And I I love this as an example because I, I gave this presentation at Nason Live in front of a group of teachers. And I said, so as a teacher, if you go into your class and say, right, today, everyone, we're doing addition. Have you given your entire class a direct prompt as to what you're doing? Yes, you have. How about you frame it differently and you say, so today, class, we're going to work on one of the operations. Can anyone tell which one it is? And get them to do the thinking, maybe using a couple of questions. So again, uh, the TA who's working with the children and the teacher, it allows them to think through how their language is helping students uh, without them realising. And these things, which I can show to the screen, but fingers are a classic way we actually give direct prompts without even realizing we're doing it. Yeah. Um, so a parent said to me, I was surprised when I did the assessment, my son didn't understand the word in between because he's forever sitting in between us and the sofa. And I said, oh, well, how does he sit in between you and the sofa? And she said, well, we normally move apart and he sits in between us. I said, so he sits exactly where you've made the space. So yeah. He doesn't need to understand the word in between. He's actually following um, the direct prompts of actually moving aside. So that's where he's going to sit. Um, So it's really interesting how in life we don't really understand how much help we give people by intonation, language, fingers pointing. Um, So, yeah, it really strips that away. So for an educator, it really helps them understand how they can move up that level of progress in doing the same maths but more independently encouraging the student to do it more independently without removing you know all of the help straight away how to take it up stages I imagine that educators who've used it have thought this isn't just for maths we can as we're working with these children we can apply that you know across their learning absolutely it's come back to me uh tenfold when you start to use it, you can apply it to any subject, any subject at all. Mm. And in fact, I quite a lot yeah. as well. So I use it quite a lot to teach life skills to my son and realizing that how many times, so things like opening packets of crisps, he'll just come to me and say, open these and I'll do it without even thinking. And now I'm pushing it back and I pinch them and he does then the next bit. So we're moving up that independence. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a lot in there that um, is supportive for kind of parents thinking, uh, because we know that um, often as parents, as you're intimating there with like the crisp opening, it's almost like we very instinctively step in, you know, there's a lot of kind of helicopter rescuing of children to kind of support them. And actually, we want to move away from that, don't we? And kind of move to a place where a bit more like a kind of a lighthouse rather than a helicopter. And we want to sort of guide their thinking. And I love the fact that we've got this kind of scale of scaffolded thinking about something, uh, which leads me on to a couple of things. I was listening very closely there to you, Karen. Do you think 
Um, you know, in our current curriculum, there is enough real world maths, not just for SEN children, for all children, you know, that application to the real world. Do you think uh, we do that well enough uh, within our curriculums? And and then sort of related to that, do you think there's um, stuff that we can learn in through kind of mainstream sort of teaching from um how you're working and apply that into our work uh, for kind of the broad spread of attainment within our classrooms? So taking the question about the curriculum, um, no, I'm quite vocal about the fact that there is not enough real life maths in our curriculum. Um, Our curriculum is heavily focused on methodology. So that is the ability to do rather than the ability to understand. And we've got caught in this situation where somebody's good at maths if they can recite times tables, which is a function of memory. It's not actually a function of understanding. Uh, So we have lots of children who are able to um, absolutely recite all the times tables, but can't answer questions that are framed in reality because they don't understand what the question is actually asking. So I do believe that we would be better placed moving from the sum and recall type methodologies into lots more conversational and real and applied maths. Um, I did take part in a conference in October last year, looking at the future of the maths curriculum uh, with all of the kind of key parties in across uh, the UK. And that was really interesting where collectively we all agreed that there is a lack of applied maths. And if you look at it, um, I'm going to say this, but in quite a lot of the schemes of work, applied maths in the statistical handling and data handling is the last topic in the summer term. And it's quite often dropped off or not got round to because of school shows and sports days, etc. And for me, applied maths, so the ability to data analysis, you know, data analysis, tables, charts, understanding how data is represented, understanding how to represent data, understanding what data means, all of that is actually hugely important. Um, The Maths for Life programme, we actually include it every week as part of our maths. So the applied bit is completely integrated and that's showing real world maths. Where do I I use time in timetables? Where do I use uh, the ability to see more and less in stock counts in a cafe, understanding what I need to order more of? So we do quite a lot of applied maths and seeing it in the real world. And it's really important for our children because at the moment, children don't necessarily understand why they need to learn maths. Because quite often they'll use the term, but this doesn't make any sense. We don't use this daily. We don't use, I don't see you using this in my life, or I don't know where this is used. And the ability to use applied maths shows you where you use it in everyday life. And when you show them its use, they're more engaged, more interested in learning what they want to learn. Um, So taking what we know about SEN into the classroom is you can do maths, mainstream maths, by just talking. Some of the most powerful maths lessons do not involve any sums. They could just be about talking. I'd like to give you an example of what I mean by that. But (laughs) 
in lockdown, my son's teacher, my eldest son, who doesn't have learning difficulties, said to me he wasn't doing his 144 club quick enough, which is all his times tables. It was meant to be in under five minutes. I don't know why we ever need to do that because I've never had to do that in my life ever. Um, but I said, well, okay, but he doesn't, he is not impassioned about it. And I don't feel the need that I need to sit down and train him how to do it. And, um, and she was like, but this is, this is what we need. This is what we need for our statistics. He needs to be able to do it. And I was like, okay. But the same boy has just had a conversation with me about the probability that he'll get a house tie next year when he's in his final year at uh, primary school. And we were working through the probability of how many classes, how many boys versus girls in each class. Then the conditional probability of after the first term, if he didn't get a tie, the, the actual fact that obviously there were less in the pool because those who got it in the first term wouldn't actually get it again in the second term. We had this whole conversation and I went, that's somebody who knows and loves maths and is not bound by that need to write stuff down that we can actually have a hypothetical conversation and understanding. And that to me is where we need to have more in our mainstream maths. We need to have more of those life conversations to bring it all together rather than sitting down and recalling things. Yeah, and um, hopefully when they do redesign the maths curriculum, we can get rid of Roman numerals, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And times tables up to 12. We don't need that. Can we just go to 10, please? Yeah, please. Can you make it happen, Karen? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm I'm trying. So, you know, secretly I've got no, uh, I'm going in under the radar. Maths for Life is rolling out in mainstream and special schools as an alternative curriculum. Uh, the Department for Education know that I'm doing it. Ofsted have seen it. So as far as I'm concerned, it is already done. It's just we haven't officially rolled it out yet. But we're getting there. Um, But I do agree there is lots on the curriculum even one of the aspects that's missing in the curriculum which we're picking up is um is the money side of it so I'm you know it's it's quite archaic what we do but working out how much change you get is completely irrelevant in today's world so we do need to change it very quickly but even if even if we knew what the alternative curriculum is, it will take at least five years to roll anything out. And that's at top speed. Yeah, I think most teachers are leaving in the next five years, babe. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe the new fresh ECTs are up for it, so we'll be all right. <laughs> They'll be coming to work for you, Karen. They'll be like, is there any jobs at Mass for Life? This sounds great. <laughs> I will in five years time I'll be willing to employ them all and uh, we'll do it in a different way um I'm very much a, you know I I if I got my hands in it I'd make all teaching profession just like you would in the real world I'd give people flexible holidays I would make it into a um into a much more of a you know kind of a realistic world that we live in and I would have hybrid schools where online learning for some pupils is acceptable um and picking and choosing what you do um, is a much more kind of obvious choice for me because, you know, if you're doing things you enjoy, you learn, um, you're always engaged. So giving people flexibility, even from a younger age, as to what they do would be great. Are you involved yeah. in politics yet? Uh, uh, you, can we can we put you forward to be a minister? <laughs> um, I have some friends who said they were putting me forward, even if I... if. 
in the next general election. If they're prepared to lose the money, they can put me forward. Um, but uh, in all honesty, I've got, uh, you know, that kind of, if I become an MP, that means my private life is open for scrutiny. Oh. I'm not sure my parents want to know some of those things that I did in my 20s. <laughs> oh, see, now, now we're getting to the stage of the interview. We really want to ask these questions. What do you want to tell us? Tell us, never mind real maths, real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, what did you do, Karen? Those, some of those real life experiences in my 20s have formed who I am today. So, yeah. um yeah yeah. Uh, yeah I'm counting the notches on my bedpost so I don't know what you're getting at there babe <laughs> <laughs> you might, you might need to edit this bit I <laughs> shall, we, shall we, move, we move on your big goal Karen is to share the love of of math so what's your big message for people what is it that you're trying to get out there I think maths has always been hard done by, and I bring it back to our generation. I'm going to put us all in the same, you know, generation here. But we 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 got taught maths in a way that just sucked the lifeblood out of it, and it still is. And maths is such a wonderful thing. But you know, when you go when you look at it, I'm just annoyed at how many people just find it um, a subject that they're happy to be rubbish at or they're proud to be rubbish at, or they they just see there's no point in it when indeed every day they are using maths. It's just they don't relate what they do to maths. Um, so I've got this, you know, I've, I've really, I'm on a mission to educate people about the maths around us to say that you do love maths, you do use it all the time. Can we be open-minded? Can we open our hearts? Because as a generation, if we all have this attitude, it will rub off on the next generation and the next generation. And it's unfair of our seven and eight-year-olds to have this idea that mummy or daddy doesn't like or can't do math. So therefore, it must be really difficult. And therefore, I'll not even bother trying. I think mm. it's really important that we change our relationship and think of maths as something that is beautiful, that can be That's fun. Sexy. Yeah. And those are the words that people use about the bats for life. So I know I'm doing something right. <laughs> Did you hear that? Did you hear the word that Jane used? So we need to open our hearts that maths, Jane, is beautiful and sexy. Are you open to that? Oh, yeah. I'm ready for that. Sexy. I'm ready to do it all again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? One of the things that we're going to be tackling later this year is adults. And um, because I keep I keep getting approached by adults saying, please help me build my confidence back up and, you know, ability to open your mind and say, well, let's give it a go. But let's go back to the beginning and relearn it a different way, a way that's engaging, a way that's fun, a way that, you know, if I'm doing fractions, I'm talking about pizzas. I'm talking about cake. I'm talking about chocolate bars. I'm talking about things like. You know, when we're measuring, you know, glasses of wine, bottles of wine. You know, I'm very relatable. Crates of wine. That's what we talk about. <laughs> oh, Karen. That's, that's a maths lesson I'd like to go to. Yeah, it's amazing when you relate it to things they understand. Like I've done some one-to-one um, -one, uh, tutoring. Um, I've only done it a handful of times, but it's always been with um, 
women like ourselves who want to get back into a profession but maybe don't have a GCSE in maths and need to get their functional level too. And one of the things that they always struggle on is percentages. Until I tell them to justify the pair of shoes or the handbag they've just you know bought to their other half because it was in the sale. And it's amazing how quickly they understand percentages then. And it's like everything else. It's when it's related to you and when you can actually see it, when you need to, you do understand it. Um, We're just very me-centric, aren't we? If it's about me, then I care. (laughs) And if you can figure it out to justify the, you know, the handbag and the seal, you can justify it and understand it in any other context. Because what you do is you go, remember the one that we worked out? with your handbag and they go, yeah, they remember the sequence of events and how they actually do that so they can apply it to anything else. So that's it. It's just, it's relating it to things. It's real world maths. It's as soon as you relate it to something that they understand, it becomes infinitely easier to remember how to do it. Yeah, brilliant. I think there's going to be lots of teachers um, who really inspired by what you've been talking about they might not have heard of the Mass for Life program and they might think that's what we need in our setting how where can they find you um you know where can they get in touch with you so the Maths uh, for Life website is mathsforlife.com. I still can't believe to this day I got that website. But if you <laughs> Google Maths for Life, it comes right at the top. <laughs> um, so it's very easy to find. And we have um, we actually run um, normally once or twice a week Q&A sessions. So you can book in through the website and come and meet me. I host them and you can ask me any question. And I love them because uh, people book in, but I'm not really sure what to expect. And on one call, we had somebody from Australia, somebody from Malaysia, somebody from Canada, and three people from the UK, a teacher, a Senko, and a TA. And that's how random my Q&As are. But it's really good fun. And I get to show people, ask people, um, sorry, show people the background and behind the scenes of the, the kind of the program and what it's about. So I'm very available uh to uh people who want to find and know more about it we also have a brilliant network of schools who are doing are you know doing the best to recommend us and we've just launched the send school network so we're having our second send school network event tomorrow and that's because um i don't implement it i've written it i've got all the ingredients But I'm not in the grind implementing it. And our SEND schools are finding that talking to each other about how they do things is helping each other. Right. So we formed the network to let them talk. Um, So we have we've got a a lovely following, uh, both parents and schools. And um, we're lucky that we've we've obviously gone international as well. So if you're if you're listening to this outside the country, feel free to as well. Well, we, we hit the Bermuda Education Podcast chart, so you just watch this space. Maths for Lives is getting its Bermuda shorts on and heading out to the triangle. As your maths well, lead. <laughs> if I get a call from or an interest from Bermuda, I'll come straight back to you. Yeah, we're on commission. <laughs> I've, not that, I've not taken the Caribbean, but, um, you know, willing to go out and train if necessary. I shouldn't say anything. I'm getting to Jersey to train at, uh, later on this year, so that should be really good fun. Um, but yes, I'm. Uh, we have got inquiries from a number of, um, and it's used being used in quite a number of English speaking countries across the the the, the globe. A uh, big following in New Zealand, but I've yet to go oh, out there and train. 
You're just <laughs> dropping it in there now, aren't you? She's she's manifesting it. She's putting it out there in the universe, and then it'll come back to you. <laughs> training in Bermuda. Training in Bermuda <laughs> for the entire family with large swimming pool and wow, <laughs> and just a bar. <laughs> On that beautiful, uh, dreamy setting, uh, we, we, I'd like to just say thank you, Karen, for, for joining us in the Teacher Squad podcast. It's been uh, really, really good to talk to you. Thank you, thank Karen. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a real pleasure. So, Jane, we said we were doing things a little bit different in this podcast and we've switched things around and we haven't got a sentence of the week as such because no. um, we wanted to respond to something that's kind of important to us that's been out there in the news. So this week or last week, um, the Book Trust, brilliant charity, reading charity, um, released an open letter um, addressed to... Uh, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, and yeah. uh, Keir Starmer. And it was signed also by the previous uh, children's laureates, big names like, well, Michael Morpurgo was spearheading it, and then we've got Mallory Blackman, Quentin Blake, Anthony Brown, Lauren Child, Joseph Coilo, Cressida Cal, Julia Donaldson, Anne Fine, Chris Riddell, Michael Rosen, and Dame Jacqueline Wilson. I mean, big, big names yeah. uh, standing by this open letter. If people haven't seen it yet, um, it's been covered by lots of press all over the news the bbc the guardian everyone's been been covering it because go on the book trust site and you can see the open letter and the book trust are calling for the government to commit to a long-term national investment in books and reading for the under sevens this is particularly about the under sevens um citing the cost of living crisis and you know the the wealth of research is out there about reading making that difference to children's lives um yeah so it struck us we've thought it was really important so we'd like to 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 discuss it you as the teacher squad podcast audience we would definitely like to hear what you've got to say on it as well you can contact us via our emails or our socials um it would be really good to join in the momentum of this conversation because it's really really important i put a post out on um x twitter um yep. a poll over a thousand educators have responded to this and just ask the question does the government need to invest more in reading in primary schools? I asked about primary schools. This book trust letter is about uh, the under sevens. And what a vote. Overwhelming. 94.7% mm. agree that yeah. we need more funding. And there's lots yeah. of thoughts and comments there. Jane, what, what was your kind of response to, to this open letter? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we all know as educators that children who read regularly are more likely to overcome disadvantage. So we know that. And um, and why under seven is so important is by the time children are five, 
we can see that there is a difference between uh, children's brains at five uh, depending on their life with language Mm -hmm. or life without language, you might say. Um, And basically, we can do better. Now, we know that um, sure starts were closed and this was a, a, a stream of funding and support for young families and mothers, particularly, and fathers, of course, but kind of, uh, kind of those early gifts of books. But if we think about children, um, you know, before they are even five, we know there are three component parts that will ensure children um, succeed with kind of our language code and number one talking you know chatter matters um and even i just think it's so fascinating like truly fascinating when children are two and three years old um if children have kind of rich experiences of talk um they have lots of morphology chunks like we're not thinking oh we're teaching you morphology we're not we're not thinking as parents oh we're teaching you you know the smallest units of meaning but just by listening to kind of voice and talk they're hearing s on the ends of words and understanding that sort of plural and ings and eds and er's and all that sort of but that we know that talk's important we also know that singing is critical and kind of singing is winning for kids you know all of that you know nursery rhymes you know your favorite songs the singing in the car the making up silly ditties kids are getting the melody of speech they're getting the um you know the rhythm of language but it's just so sad that um half of under seven-year-olds do not get a bedtime story Mm. and reading is just so intriguing for children you know they are learning the conventions of print right there and we as you know we are advocates for children end of that's how that's our moral duty as teachers and uh, we can see that there are kids who are missing out from the treasure trove that that are books and um it it's we're at a tipping point you know words work they're a game-changing difference maker and um what what is the government doing quite frankly i mean where Where is their level of support? And, you know, we've got to do much better because the children who aren't getting that that important start in life with books, um, you know, the gap widens, it hardens, and uh, that attainment gap gets really uh, rigid. And we see it. We can tell as teachers. I mean, that's it, hands down. We can tell as teachers the children who have had books in their lives and more has to be done to make sure um, it's a priority. Definitely. Sure Start was something that jumped to my mind immediately. Um, yeah. And I think it, it things like Sure Start, because it was such a flagship thing for Labour, yeah. I think that's part of its kind of downfall. Now, Um, the government now have got these family hubs and will tell you that they've got lots and lots of those. But actually, the number 
of show starts that that closed and the loss of of that work we we almost need to go a little bit under the radar we don't want this to be any party's spearhead program or it needs to be something that's done well sorted and that it stays we don't need to be fighting for this each time you know governments change it, it shouldn't need to be part of any kind of election manifesto this just should be what children in this country get because it's what they deserve i, I you know if you listen to the government, they'll tell you about how they're funding schools and things are much better. Uh, and But the reality is, and, and all of the teachers that I talk to, school funding is a huge issue and it is impacting daily life. Just this week, I saw on one of the... Um, the kind of teaching Facebook groups, a teacher saying, we've set up Amazon wish lists um, for the school community to support the school and the teacher had written like I've put this that and the other on has anyone else got any other ideas and you, you know when you're thinking it's a wish list it should be kind of like extra desirables oh yeah. no it was it was like pencils coloring pencils glue yeah. sticks we have an ongoing yeah. joke about glue sticks don't we but you know it is it's just craziness when we are looking for we've got basic teaching tools on on a wish list. So then looking at budget for for books and all that goes with this reading for pleasure culture. Or, or on the, the X poll, lots of the people who were commenting were were talking about a a premium. So like the sports premium funding that schools get that's ringed fence for that purpose and that use, lots of people would like to see that, but for reading for pleasure. So the, the, the money, we've, we talk a lot about what we've done with phonics um, and the, there is funding out there, the English hubs, um, which are that a government initiative. There is funding there for schools who need to spend the money on phonics. And those English hubs do have a remit around reading for pleasure as well. But funding for, for quality range of books, upkeep of books, for author visits, for all of those things that build that reading for pleasure culture, I think that's what a lot of educators are, are calling for. And libraries, do, do we talk about that, Jane? That's what yeah. people want to see. Uh, you know, Julia Donaldson, who, who was, uh, you know, joining in this momentum for this open letter, talked about the fact, and we've said it before, it's compulsory, you know, it's a legal thing that there has to be a library in a prison, but not a school. But people going beyond that and saying we don't just need a library. Some schools have a room with books in. We talked about that when Martin Gallo yeah. was here. Yeah. It's more than that. And yeah. we need to value the skill set that a librarian has. And, yeah. and schools need librarians to be that heartbeat. You're not going to get many librarians in primary schools, though, are you, Heather? The, you know, the, the value of, um, you know, and the knowledge that they can 
de- disseminate and the getting the right book to the right child and the uh, promotion of language. You know, it's just not there, but it should be there. I mean, there's so much work to do. And, you know, that, you know, we are all behind this idea of that we're going on a language hunt, you know, and we're going to catch uh, some good ones. You know, we want to be wordy, uh, herdy and very nerdy about it but ultimately um I, I just think we're in very kind of in tipping point times as well because um we know that uh children have got screens they're reading on screens and i'll tell you now what we now know about the science of it's the um letter z or Z, if you're in America, you know, it's the skim, it's the scan, it's the adipel, it's the, the skipping past. And then actually what is being missed? The slow, the beauty, the, the rhythm of language. Um, and actually you keep, if you keep just seeing reading as a, a kind of interaction with the screen exercise which is just like lift the knowledge lift the knowledge um yeah we've got to have knowledge of course but we can be overloaded with um information and actually have this sort of lack of wisdom and knowing and reading um and i and you know i've, I've got many reading heroes but uh marianne wolf talks about um you know when an author invests their their hard thinking into into a book and they're sort of crafting up this sort of this sort of diamond of work and it's it's glittering to us she said it's often like um like a petri dish and that actually it's it's been left behind for us like a book so that we can then come along and interact with it and we can grow um, our own thinking through that book. Um, and it's really important that we get to the detail of reading. We get to the deepness and, yeah. and we don't miss the beauty because reading gives us other perspectives. And it's, there's never a time that we needed other perspectives and more empathy, mm-hmm. you know, and books help us enter a world and pass over. And um, we've got to be really careful that in this time we're not, we've got to value and treasure the book, the the, the print, because it is a different, we've got to, it's, we've got to freeze it. You know, we've got to make sure that it's not kind of a scroll on by because that skim and scan is very different from deep reading. And and children are going to lose out um, if, you know, in our screen age, if we don't help them slow right down and um, begin to see the interplay between all the smaller stuff, um, it's, it's so critical. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's there's lots of layers about this funding, isn't there? And um, some people are pointing out about teacher teacher training and how much focus or lack of there is on um, teachers learning how to teach reading, but also how um, teachers can develop that reading culture um, as well. I think. There's, there's, there's work, work to, to go. 
there's so much to do, isn't there? And we have we, th- there isn't like a magic wand, and it needs it needs layers. It needs to be thought through it and kind of phased and and implemented. Yeah, I mean, when we when we uh, trained, um, you know, we weren't taught how to teach phonics, and then, and then we've learned that on the job. Um, and now, um, you know, we really know that really well. But there's such an important part to, um, you know helping children perceive themselves as a reader and um you know and I always go back to you know if you look at the education endowment foundation work under the reading house you know all of the rooms in that house you know children have got to feel confident that they can skip through those rooms and see the interconnections between them and see how it all links up um it's you know there's so much to do with um reading enjoyment um because they've got to not only be able to um you know read like a detective and really understand what that means to uh read like a detective the only the only way they're going to get there is if they've got a wealth of books because it's not just reading like a detective it's being able to see not like the layers within reading but then the layers beyond reading how it talks to their lives how it interconnects with other books. That's why, you know, you know, a, a couple of books in the corner of a classroom isn't going to be enough, you know. And um, children's sort of um, is what you were talking about, uh, you know, a few podcasts ago about your daughter kind of come, come phasing in and out of love of reading. I mean, she'll feel better on a YA novels now there's going to be snogging involved and traps <laughs> <laughs> but it's like helping children with that sort of rhythm of reading as well and um yeah you're right uh we need uh strong levels of CPD we need strong Ooh. levels of um kind of teacherly guidance we need strong levels of um kind of uh support for planning and thinking about your curriculum and then what I always say you know it can't just be oh we've got a few scatter cushions and an IKEA leaf stuck in the corner we've sorted our reading curriculum you know it's it it's not about oh yeah we've got a few um Christmas lights up boom done it no it's about the teaching and learning exchange of deep reading you know, there, there's so much yeah. work to do and um, it needs proper government funding and commitment at a very strategic level uh, yeah. to make a game-changing difference. And um, it's actually disgusting that it, it we need a letter. I mean, sorry, you know. Yeah, it just seems astonishing in 2024, doesn't it? And what, yeah. it, what it needs to not be is that kind of token, oh, we've done that, we've put new books in that corner. We can't have lots of schools getting a pot of money, go and do that, and they buy lots of stuff with it, but then that's it. They're left, this this is continuous, this is ongoing. Um, One final point that I just wanted to revert back to when I had, uh, the uh, some ideas in episode 11 about how mainstream media can support um, normalizing reading for for pleasure i think big companies who ha, ha, you know have 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 funded to support that 
corporate social responsibility, they they can be helping with this picture. Um, that the government have a campaign, and they're going to be telling parents about you know the 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 benefits of reading. But I think we have to be careful about how people perceive that as nanny state and kind of there's you can almost get a. a and against feeling, can't you? And actually, if it's in mainstream media and it's, you know, people that they they watch, they respect, that they like and see it as normal, I think that that can be part of part of this move forward so that we get away from only less than half of children having those stories read to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think you're saying we might need some, we want some bigger celebrities than our children's laureates. Is that what you're saying? We want to. <laughs> no, I think that it's fantastic. They're big celebs to me. Um, yeah. I think that those, but kind of, you know, we, we know, we read those names out and we know who they are, but yeah, many, yeah. many parents will yeah. not know who those na- yeah, yeah. names are. They won't have heard of, of the children's laureates. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they they will have heard of of the people who are hosting uh, kind of tea time uh, programs, uh, yeah, yeah. breakfast programs. That that's the norm. Those are the things that go across across the nation. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. there's so much more that can be done, uh, don't you think, in terms of messages around that? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think we, we we've this this is an important issue, and we wanted to give some time and talk to it, but. You know, we really we've just scratched the surface, haven't we? So, do do get in touch with us. Tell us tell us what you think. Um, you know, get your paper and pen out or your um, email your local MPs about this. Let's let's support what the book trust, what the children's laureates are doing. Uh, let's raise our voices and see if we can uh, stamp our feet and make some noise. Yeah, absolutely. All for the amplification of that agenda. Thank you, Heather, for all your thoughts. You, um, yeah, I like it when you get a bit ragey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Noted. Noted. Talking about um, how you're in- inspiring me, I just wanted to uh, let you know that um, I've sort of done a Heather and uh, I've not come top of the charts for fashion because I'm actually wrapped in a in an electric blanket. You know, I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm doing a Heather here, I think. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just smile at that and go, yes, I've got my blanket with me as well. But I'm going to be really insulted that you just put, said, I'm going to do a Heather and not be top of the fashion charts. Was that you, a, bit, you, a cow bag thing to say? That was a real cow bag <laughs> thing to say, Jane. What you're trying to say is that I'm not fashionable. Listen. <laughs> oh, dear. I'll just, I'm, yeah, I'm doing me, it. babe. That's what you say. You do you, babe. <laughs> we better make me feel better. Come on, you do your wonder do. words. Make All me right. feel better. Okay. Um, Ursula Le Guin. Um, who is uh, an American uh, story author. And I just want to share um, this uh, little bit of a um, speech uh, that she um, said when she got the National Book Awards in New York. And she was introduced by by Neil Gaiman as a giant of literature. And... um, 
And it seemed really fitting to talk uh, about this speech because she talks about the importance of an uprising of words and that it is in art that we can begin to uh, send out messages to the real world. And, um, and if we do it well enough in the art world, then a tsunami can form and it can swell and spill over into the real world. Um, so, yeah, she's being defiant and angry. And I don't know if you can see this image of her. She's also in a blanket that's not very fashionable. <laughs> I was warming to you then, Jane, but then you just whipped the blanket from underneath me. Keep you on your toes, babe. Okay, so this is Ursula Le Guin's words. Hard times are coming when we'll be wanting the voices of writers who can see alternatives to how we live now, can see through our fear-stricken society and its obsessive technologies to actually other ways of being and even imagine real grounds for hope. We'll need writers who can remember freedom, poets, visionaries, realists of a larger reality. Right now, we need writers who know the difference between production of a market commodity and the writers who understand the practice of an art. Developing written material to suit sales strategies in order to maximize corporate profit and advertise is not the same thing as responsible book publishing or authorship. Yet, I see sales departments given control over editorial. I see my own publishers in a silly panic of ignorance and greed charging public libraries for an e-book six or seven times more than they charge customers. We just saw a profiteer try to punish a publisher for disobedience and writers threatened by corporates. And I see a lot of us who write the books and make the books accepting this. <sighs> Look, mm. books aren't just commodities. The profit motive is often in conflict with the aims of art. We live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. But then, so did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. Resistance and change often begin in art, very often in our art the art of words. I've had a long career as a writer in good company. And here at the end of it, I don't want to watch literature get sold down the river. We who live by writing and publishing want and should demand our fair share of the proceeds. But the name of our beautiful reward isn't profit. No, its name is freedom. Wow. Very powerful. So it's um, a moment, I think, on the podcast for words, the power of words, the power of books, and uh, the important 
thinking, deep thinking and freedoms that it gives to all of us and how we can kind of work together to make a difference, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my wonder of words yeah. um, is inspired by one of our virtual author events that we hosted uh, last week. Um, excitingly, it was on the publication day of the book, which was, was really good. Um, so I, I'm going to share with you from this book, which is Beastlands by... Yeah. Uh, zoologist uh, Dr Jess French it's her first middle grade outing race to Frostfall Mountain and um, I love doing these events I'm so fortunate to to get to do them but to see the um, the pupils really engage and be excited and the the book is is fabulous and the, the author event was really good because she was just sharing of it and where it came from uh, but also tapped into she was mentioning words like classification and habitat so you know teachers were lapping that up to make connections as well one t uh, teacher emailed me after the event and said this was the first event that I have attended and I thought it was brilliant it was supposed to just be my year five class but year six joined in at the last minute and we all loved it and this, it, our sound was pretty quiet. They had problems with their technology, but all of the children were so hooked and engaged and lots of them have been talking about the book um, and want to buy it. I'm so pleased as reading for pleasure is something I'm trying to push at the moment. The links made a perfect for our science and geography topics next half term. So we're looking forward to using the book in class Um so that that was that was really nice and inspiring. So it's published by Piccadilly Press, and on on the back, um, you get the blurb, but you also get this kind of little, very finite summary, just three phrases. So it says soaring adventure, unlikely heroes, mighty beasts, and I thought oh, it's it's great to draw people's attention to those to kind of suck the readers in or you could get your reading ambassadors to do that kind of wrapping up and put those on the front for those kind of blind date options um yeah brilliant but I'm not going to read it to you Jane because oh. I have the permission from Jess uh, oh. to share her voice reading a little bit of the prologue um, some of you might recognize Jess uh, not as an author but as a CBeebies presenter so she, she used to host I don't know whether it's still on um, a, a mini beasts uh, CBeebies program feel us out what's about so some of you may recognize her voice I'm hoping that this is going to work let's make sure that the sound's up so this is Jess reading the prologue from her new book Beastlands prologue before there were people there were beasts before there were beasts there were plants before there were plants there was an island before there was an island, there was ocean. In the first age, an island was born, made from the fiery lava of underwater volcanoes. It rose from the sea in a roiling dance of steam and waves. When the molten rock finally cooled, it formed a mass of land that was barren and lifeless. 
except for a tendrilous purple fungus that lay deep in its heart. Gradually, the fungus sprawled its way up through the earth and over the land, new life sprouting in every place it touched. In the second age, the plants came, flourishing in the rich volcanic soil. On the slopes of the island's only surface volcano, Mount Ataria, there grew a turquoise jungle strung with climbers and vines. In the south was a deciduous forest where the leaves turned red and gold as the seasons changed. And to the west, the banks of the watery fields were colonised by mosses, lichens and enormous flowers. In the third age came the beasts, from tiny creepers scuttling over rocks to treetop acrobats leaping from bough to bough, they evolved to thrive across the island's many habitats. Huge winged creatures ruled the skies while colossal ocean beasts lurked in the shadowy seas. Beasts were everywhere. The air was thick with the scent of them and their squeaks and roars echoed through the mountains and forests. There we go. Mm, Lovely descriptive good. language, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The smell of a beast. Sighting, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever gets you going, Jane. Whatever gets you going. <laughs> oh, I've loved today. Uh, thank you for your rage. Um, sorry I upset you about the blanket. Love you. Sorry. Well, you've, you've got to come back from that, Jane. But oh, no, it's, it's okay to have a bit of righteous rage, isn't it? I think, it, yeah. you know, when you're standing up for the right things, it's um, it's very important. Yeah. Can I just shout out for any early career teachers who are listening? Um, I have put out a course for ECTs on bringing that, reading for pleasure culture into your classroom uh, it's going to take place on the 8th of february um via zoom at four o'clock just for an hour we're going to get together and it's just 10 pounds what oh, a bargain that's great. that is a bargain and i'm doing a shout out for some demonstration teaching i'm in mm-hmm. grimsby this week coventry next week so if you want to see the right stuff in action in your school with your kids well you know you know, I'll go, I'll go anywhere. Uh, so yeah, get in touch with us. Um, you know, we're, we're out there. You can find us. Um, I've got two emails, but I best do the podcast one. Jane <laughs> at the teacher squad podcast.co.uk and dot com, Heather, dot com, dot com, dot com. shut up <laughs> <laughs> it's Heather go, at the teacher squad podcast oh, dot muck, com <laughs> muck that up. I said muck PG. <laughs> Do you know what that is? It's karma. It's karma for the blanket comment. Can we go home now? (laughs) Yeah, I think we should go home. And we're we're, we're all good friends just before anybody emails and says, don't fall out with each other. There's lots of love between us. Yeah, there's loads of love. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm going to get under her blanket one day. That's how good there is. (laughs) So it's big love from Heather and Heartburst. From Jane. See you next week. See you, everyone.